Well, if they feel blessed, how much more do we not? We certainly are blessed. I don't know how to say how happy I am to be back and how gracious you all have been in welcoming me back as I was shaking hands. Glad that you didn't leave me over there without prayers. I bring warm and great greetings uh, from friends and from churches both in Holland and in Romania. I spent the last part of, of last week in Amsterdam and met with theological educators uh, talking about how maybe we can do some partnership on training pastors for the time that lie ahead. And then I had the fortune of, of staying with a good friend of mine right at the outskirts of Amsterdam where all the meetings uh, took place. One of the most creative church planters I know, we have known each other and, and prayed together and stayed close uh, for all these years since our youth. And uh, in one of the most secularized cities in the world, he is now running a church of, of 1,500 people. Uh, quite unspeakable in a place where other churches are running 25, 30, 40, 50. Uh, God has so blessed in his creative, never-stopping engagement with how can we best reach people for Christ. And I want you to think about that. I thought he had been there now. He started that church back when I was uh, back also in Copenhagen. And he, first thing, when I stayed, he said, Let's spend the night talking and praying. What, what will be next? How can we do this better? And I thought, you are now at the point you can sit on your laurels and, and just be all great, never stopping to pray and think about how can God do even more through us in this place. I thought, I'm going to share this when I come back <clears throat> to my friends here in, in Nacogdoches. <clears throat> Then about 2 in the morning, on Sunday morning, we landed in, in Bucharest, where I then preached on, on, uh, in the First Baptist Church of Bucharest that Sunday morning, and in another Baptist church that Sunday night. And uh, I brought great greetings from you, and they send greetings back to you. Friends and fellow workers for Christ surrounding the globe. How, how majestic is this? I, I told them there... When I stand right here, as what I said there, I feel much the same way as when I stand in the front of a church singing somewhat the same songs, praising certainly the same Lord. Doesn't matter whether I'm in Denmark or Amsterdam or Bucharest or Nacogdoches. We're in the same service to the same Lord. What a powerful thing that was. And again, then I stood and preached to the, to the, uh, the chapel service of, of the Baptist Seminary in Bucharest also. And then this group of students said, oh, tell your church at home that we, we are so thankful that they are praying even for us here as you are here with us. It is a, it's just an amazing thing to see God's work around the globe, and we are so grateful. And so to be back, though, is very special. It's just good to be back. You're just a great group of folks. You know that, don't you? It's just good to be back 
in sunny Nacogdoches and it's not even hot. <laughs> it's very special. Well, to get the setting for the sermon this morning, and if you have your Bible, you can begin and turn and find John chapter 8, verse 12. But, but to set, it, set the stage, allow me to take you on a historical journey to ancient Jerusalem. We're at the high point, climax point, if you will, of one of the greatest feasts of the old Jewish calendar. It is the Feast of Tabernacles. The streets are packed with people. And the festivities are whipped into just an explosion of joy. Filled with people. Excited about what's going on. It's in the middle of the night. I hope I'm painting a picture and that you're following what's going on here. Voices, screams or yells... Laughter, song, everywhere you turn, that's what you would see and hear. And in front of the Temple Plaza, all of this was intensified even more. The processions, the rituals are just done with great jubilation. Thank you, God, they were saying, for being our Lord and our Savior. Thank you, God, because you let your people out of captivity into the promised land. The Feast of Tabernacles combines three major things in Israel's understanding of God and their history with God. First, it expresses a thanksgiving to God for taking his people out of captivity, leading them through the desert, and then letting them enter the promised land. That was looking back. Now, in the present, it's an expression to God, the thankfulness to God for him taking care of them. Still, in the present, it is a harvest festival. Thank you for letting us eat every day, O oh Lord. And then third, it, it expresses the anticipation toward the day when God is going to step into their midst again and they're going to experience what it means to stand in the throne room of God and sing his praises. Old rabbinical sources that go all the way back to the time of Jesus, what we also can call the Mishnah or the, the, the written down uh, version, if you will, of the so-called oral tradition. Compares the joy of the Feast of Tabernacles with the joy a thirsty person finds at the well of water. In fact, let me quote it from that Mishnah, which is that written document that goes back, uh, or writes down traditions that go back to the time of Jesus. He said, the one who has not seen the joy that is found in the life of a thirsty person who stands and has found that well of water does not know what true joy is. And then it continues his description of 
the Feast of Tabernacles by saying that in the streets of Jerusalem, right in front of that temple plaza, there were four giant lamps that were lit on that Feast of Tabernacle. And it lit the midnight sky as if it was, as if it was day. And under these, under these lamps, people were singing and dancing and, and expressing praises to God. And let me just quote from you here what they say. People filled with devotion to God and good deeds danced through the night. They were waving their torches while they sang and praised God. And the orchestra of the Levites joined in. And the joy and the light spread its glory throughout Jerusalem. And this dancing, this singing, and the swinging of the torches lasted all night. And it was an expression of particular devotion to God. If you could be a part of this the whole night, every night, for the week-long festivity. You have the picture, I hope, right? In your mind. It was on this background, while the torches and the processions and the great lamps of Jerusalem lit that night sky as light as a bright Sunday, sunny day, that Jesus steps out and he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall never walk in darkness. Let's read together from verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him, here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two is valid. I'm one who testifies for myself, my other witness is the father who sent him. And they asked him, where is your father? And he says, you do not know me or my father. Jesus replied, if you knew me, you would know my father also. And he spoke these words while teaching in the temple near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him. Because his time had not yet come. The light of life. You know, the quality of, of light is such that every human being who will ever hear these words, regardless of whether they are 
completely ignorant of any kind of biblical knowledge, any idea of the stories of Scripture or what Scripture is teaching, they will still have a pretty good sense of what Jesus says when he says, I am the light of the world. For those who heard Jesus say these words the first time, there were no doubt about even the ferocity, the power and radical nature of what he was saying. They were in the midst of this celebration I just described. God had led him out of Egypt through that desert by the help of a cloud in the day and a shining, lighting pillar of fire during the night. And it's in the middle of of that celebration that Jesus comes and he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall never walk in darkness. Light was the very sign, evidence, if you will, of God's presence. It was the shining pillar of fire that saved them from Egyptians' army when that army was catching up on them as they were going through the Red Sea. It was the shining pillar of fire that led them around the dangers of the dark, dark, desert sky that surrounded them. It was one of the foundational pillars, if you will, of their faith that Israel's God, Yahweh himself, was a light unto his people. It was even filling the hymn books of the Bible, if you will. Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? In the terminology of the Bible, God's light is an expression, the evidence that God is alive and acting. This was so much that when the old prophets like Isaiah, Zechariah, and others are talking about the end times, the eschatological age, if you want to use that fancy language, They said it will be a time where the Lord himself would be a light unto his people. Even the night will be light. There will be no end to the day. Zechariah says, for example, right here, that it will be a unique day without daytime or nighttime. A day known to the Lord. Even when the evening comes, there will be Light. Are we getting the power of this? This is powerful stuff, friends. The light is the very evidence that God is present. It is the proof that God is acting, not just in the world, but in your life, that's why this question about God's light is a question you need to deal with as an individual. Is God's light shining in you and through you? 
It's the evidence of God's presence. Where God is, there's light enough to find your way out of darkness. There's light enough to escape the dangers of the desert. There's light enough to separate and discern falsehood from truth. There's light enough to see and sort your life to get rid of the things that create darkness and love into being the things that create even more light. There's light. There's light so that fresh shoots can spire or sprout in your life. There's light and not darkness. You know, you're not all as old as I am, but some of you are. You remember when we sang songs, like there's sunshine in my soul today, more glorious and bright than glows on any what? See, I am the oldest here. (laughs) That glows on any earthly sky for Jesus is my light. Is Jesus your light? Do you know Jesus as the one who creates light in your life? Or has it become simply verbiage? Things we say because we know it's right. If you deep down in your soul knows that it is not, listen to him when he says, I am the light of the world and he who follows me shall never walk. In darkness. Let me repeat what I said earlier in the terminology of Scripture. The picture of God's light is an expression that He is active. Let me say something else, friends, about this. To have light is not really. A choice. When you say I'm the light of the world. And he who follows me. Will experience light of life. He's simply stating the obvious in many ways. Light is the very condition. For life. The processes of life cannot function. Without light. Before the world was created, there was darkness over the depths. And God began creation by saying, Let there be light. Nothing could exist without light. And so when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's really saying, I am your condition for life itself. Think about the qualities of light. 
Light reveals things as they really are. Evil is revealed as evil. Falsehood reveals as falsehood. Sin reveals as sin. Only where darkness reigns, you can be in doubt because it's not easy to separate things in darkness. But light puts things in focus. And not all things belong to the light, as we know. There are things that do not. Maybe even things in your life that are better described as actions of darkness. And then there, of course, are things where it seems sometimes it's difficult to separate and discern. Is, is this a deed of darkness or, or a deed of light? But friends, let me Let me just highlight this again. What Jesus is saying is where his light shines and where it's allowed to shine unhinderedly without being covered by anything. You will have light enough to discern and separate the deeds of light from the deeds of darkness. That's why the old Hymnal and scripture says also, God's word is a lamp unto my foot, a light on my path. For the unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the symbol. Let me see if I can... Highlighted even more when Jesus says that he who follows me shall never walk in darkness. It's because the one who has light can see the road. I know that when I go to Nacogdoches from Waco, if I didn't have light on the car, I know telling where I would be going. There stretches there. That is, I don't even know if there's any light a hundred miles from there. It is just dark. Unless I had lamps. You know, we know it from home too, right? You've, most of us have tried that. Sudden, something happens and all light goes out, power's out, and we scramble to find some little drawer and there's a dumb little light that we should have changed batteries in, you know, a long time ago. And, and, and we told ourselves last time this happened, we would do it, and we never did it. We can't see a thing. You, you know, exactly. And then someone shows up with one of these big beamers and just bathes everything in light and we can see it all, right? Or if you're like me, you know, you have moved into a new place and the sweet wife is saying she would really like to have this room painted. And you're too cheap to call someone to do it, right? So, so you said, oh, I can do it. I can get it done before I go to bed. That's good. And you've got this bulb in the, in the middle of the ceiling, and you're painting, and you're looking. It looks marvelous. Right? She's going to be so happy when she wakes up tomorrow. And you shall come up the next morning, and you're thinking, who danced on my walls all night, right? <laughs> it is just completely, it looks so good in the dark. <laughs> Light. Reveals how it is. 
Maybe I should give an illustration on how I think things have changed. You know, back in the good old days, a lot of people like to think that way. I don't know that it was true, but that's how we think about it. The message about light is so significant in this generation. Earlier generation may have experienced darkness more like the absence of a whole lot of light. Like if you're in a room and you just had a little bulb in the ceiling and those who were really in the light, of course, they sat right under that bulb. And those who were in the darkness, they, they were further in the corners where things were kind of dark. Not fully pitch black dark, but kind of dark, right? So we had to have revive them again and we get them back closer to the lamp. Yes, you get my point. Nowadays, Maybe we're helped better if we think of ultimate light and ultimate darkness. Because the darkness seems to be so much more intense. And so when you think of light, all of us have seen a laser light, right? Where the light is 100% intense in that stream where it goes. And it is zero Right outside of it. One half inch outside of a laser beam, there's no light. In that laser beam, there's 100% light. Are you getting me? You can completely bathe one half of a room in that light, and it is so intense, and if you stand with your back to it, you would not know there was light in the room. Maybe. Maybe that will tell us about the necessity of being intense light throwers in our day and time. How important it is for our time to have the light of Jesus. Only when that happens, you will also hear the promise that you will never walk in darkness. I'm going to end by talking about the qualities, the growth qualities of light. As we already mentioned, nothing can grow without light. No plant will ever grow no flower will bloom. No fruit will ripen. Everything will just stop and rot if there was never any light. That's true also of people's lives. Darkness and light will never, ever be able to function together. They are opposites. Light can maybe be blown off by many things, but darkness itself cannot shut down the light or quench the light, if you will. Even if you could collect all the world's darkness into one place, even the smallest light could not be 
pushed out by darkness alone. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall never walk in darkness, for the light shines in darkness, and darkness will not overcome it. When Jesus spoke these words the first time, there was great opposition. The same thing we hear today, actually, pretty much. That first time it was the Pharisees who just flat refused it. Today it's people of all kinds. The argument of the Pharisees was that, you know, you're just saying these things about yourself. You're not having any credibility, and people are trying much of the same today. But notice the penetrating power of Jesus' answer is just as penetrating today. He said, I am not testifying about myself. God testifies about me. The reason you do not realize that is that you don't know God. And you don't know me. In other words, what he's saying is, you can't finish this off that quick by just writing it off like that. You got to know God. You got to check me out. Because if you know me, you'll know God. If you knew God, you will know who I am. All they could see, these Pharisees, were that son of Joseph and Mary. Everything else was blocked from their vision. I wonder what blocks your vision when you look at Jesus. What keeps you from making him your real Savior? The one who can truly liberate you from darkness and place you in the light of freedom. If you say, I know who he is, he is my light. Let me ask you then a different question. What keeps you from allowing him to be the real guide as you need to make difficult decisions. I think we all know that it's only those who live in the light that can reflect light. That is, that we can send light further on. When I grew up as a boy, mom and dad bought an old house and in the basement of that old house, there was a potato basement, kind of inside. You may not know what that is, but that was designed when the house was built. You know, in the fall, when they took out all the potatoes, they put them in there, pitch black, dark. Just shovel them in, just stacks and stacks of potato that will last them forever. Of course, 
that was never used for that anymore. I, I actually took the room over and used it as my dark room for my photography interest at that time. But I asked mom and dad, why was it so important? I mean, you went through this and got into this back room. It was easy just to have a place where they could shove them in. They said it had to be completely dark. Because they were there for a long time. If light came in, they'll begin to sprout. And they were not good to eat. What a lesson to illustrate this. You want to begin to sprout. Let all the light in you can get. Father, will you speak to us? In a time like this, In a service like this, as you're calling us to hear your word, we so rejoice in you calling us together and allowing us to be your people. But I ask, Father, that you would speak directly to everyone. There may be some here this morning who has to say, Jesus, I need you as my light. If so, give them the boldness, O oh Lord, to, to step forward and, and just come and ask for the light. And we'll pray with them. Others may, may just say that I'm living in that dim zone where I'm not really sure what is light and what is darkness. I don't see the beam. I'm walking around with that little hand light that is not giving me much light. Father, whatever our situation is, we... We're here as your people. We're here as individuals seeking your light. Allow us to have it even this morning. Amen. Friends, we're going to stand and sing a song. The invitation is open. Some of you may want to give your life to Christ. Others may want to rededicate your life and see him shed new light. Some of you may say, I want to be in a people. Well, I can be with them and reflect the light of Jesus. However God calls you, this is the time to respond. Mm-hmm.